Hey there, welcome to Film Streak. My name is Rob, and you are watching the next episode in this long line of films I've been watching. Been watching something every day, something new. Sometimes it's a new release, most times not. Sometimes it's just me catching up on stuff that I, I hadn't seen in a long time or, or, or been meaning to see for a long time. Uh, or just something that's random, you know, here lately, I've been trying to do this thing where I'm watching like films that are kind of centered around the same theme or similar, you know, plot devices or whatever. I, I mean, this one really kind of showed me that, um, that doesn't always work. So look, I'm going to go through these films. A lot of these are not going to be great, but I'll just tell you that, uh, I don't know. I might go back to just kind of watching a bunch of randos and just see what happens. Um, I do have one that I've just seen that I do want to have. I've already got lined up for the next episode, but it doesn't fit in with these. So we're going to hold that for next time. Anyway, if you want to find other episodes, thanks. Thanks for listening, first of all. But if you want to find other episodes, go check out filmstreak.com. You can find other episodes there. You can uh, get the links to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the podcast places. Uh, in the meantime, let's get to it. We're picking up where we left off. This is number 72. This is Buffaloed. And this is from 2019, starring Zoe Do Doach, Dooch. Hmm. Zoe Do Ditch. You know, you know her as Leah Thompson's daughter. I guess that's the way I know. She looks almost like her. Um, and also my guy Jai Courtney, which I always have like high hopes for, but Dude always just seems to be the kiss of death for some reason. And I mean, I can't think of a, a blockbuster hit that he's been in. And it's unfortunate because it seems like he's got some real talent and got some real, you know, energy to bring to things, but it just never seems to work out. But either way, both of them are great in this film. Um, it's, it's actually pretty fun to watch. It's a little bit of a comedy, a little bit of a... Um, I don't want to say a crime drama, but it's got some elements of their like shadier kind of characters and, and things that are going on. But ultimately it's, it's all about this, this racket around debt collection and how it's pretty cutthroat and the competition's really fierce and um, it's not easy to get your way into that business. But um, you know, Zoe plays this young woman who's good with money, like even in school and being young and like finding ways to build schemes around making money and, and being successful and all this. And so she gets into this racket of just collecting debt, you know, being able to turn people and get money out of them to be successful at this business. And so she creates her own agency to start doing this and becomes kind of competition with other People in the Buffalo, that's the reason why it's called Buffalo. It takes place in Buffalo, New York. And just kind of a real, I don't know, almost random. But I, I guess it's partly due to that's where some collections agencies, collections agencies are based out of. I don't know. I probably, I don't, I can't think of the last time I had a collections agency come after me. But uh, probably wouldn't surprise me if they were out of Buffalo, New York. But either way. Um, this film, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. And that's going to be the case for a lot of these, but this was fun. It had some good energy to it. It had like a real scrappy feel to the, the, the characters and the, the film itself, the way it was made and, and the energy in it. But, uh, 
uh, I don't know. I just, I can't really decide if I ultimately liked it or not. So I, you know, if you happen to see this, um, the one thing I'll take away from this is that I do like Zoe. I like her performances or her performance in this. And when you see some of the other stuff she's in, it's clear like this is not the type of person she is, but this is a real character, which I think that's got to be a big strength, you know, to to show that you can pull off this kind of big kind of over the top character or some of the moments here and um, and really sell it. I mean, it almost reminds me a little bit of a little bit of like Leo in Wolf of Wall Street, you know, where you know that's not Leo. But you know that he's going so big and so bold with it that it's undeniable. You can't help but be intrigued or just be drawn to the performance. So there's a little bit of that in here, I think. Um, But ultimately, I guess check it out. If you have time, if you feel like it, it's kind of fun. But it it does kind of peter out at the end. Like it just kind of, I don't know just kind of tapers off. Doesn't really have like, I mean, it, there is like a big climactic scene, but it, I don't know, in terms of the themes and some of the things it was trying to, I think, talk about, it just kind of, I don't know, just dies off at the end. So either way, um, it's an interesting effort. Maybe check it out if you have time. Um, otherwise, no harm in, in passing it. And I'm sure everybody involved with this has made some other good stuff. That's probably what we're checking out. All right. So that's number 72. We're going to blow through these because it's a lot of rough stuff in here. But let's get to it. Next one. Number 73, 99 Homes. Now, this is a film that I remember was really relevant um, a few years back. And so this came out in 2014, but it's basically the the premise, the plot of it is all revolving around the 2008 era housing crisis where people were going into debt, people were losing their homes and um, the struggles that everyday people, their families were having with money and just having a place to live. And so this is pretty much straight drama and it's got Andrew Garfield, uh, Michael Shannon and both doing pretty much what they do best. Um, you know, Michael Shannon's being a total dick in this movie and Andrew Garfield's being like super patient and thoughtful, nice guy, every guy, but he can't seem to kind of get, get a catch a break. He can't seem to get things straightened out for, for him and his family. So ultimately what this is, is a story about a young guy who um, he lives with his mom. He lives with his son and he's behind, the family's behind on, on their their payment for their home, their, their mortgage payments. So they end up getting evicted right at the top of the film. And the guy that's evicting them is Michael Shannon. And he runs this whole agency of just scooping up all this debt, all these homeowners that are behind on their payments and going around. And I, I guess it's like a scheme. I mean, I, 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 you know, that's the only thing I'm not quite clear, like from the plot, if it's illegal or not, but the the idea that he's turning all of this debt, all of these homes into a profit by I don't I don't know how this shit works, but 
like, I guess, buying the debt, buying the debt and then flipping the homes and reselling it to the government. Or, I don't know. But either way, Andrew Garfield and his family, they're kicked out of their homes by Michael Shannon. They go to live in a hotel or a motel. And uh, he has to find a way to just survive now. And he goes back to end up working for Michael Shannon as part of his team. Uh, the cleanup crews, the people that basically when they come and take you out of your house, they come in there and they scoop everything out, throw it in the yard, re, you know, remodel and, and fix up the house, change the locks, all that stuff. And then they move on to the next house. So he he turns on and becomes part of that team and ultimately works his way up because he's he's what he's trying to do is he works a deal where he can do this, flip all these homes, kick all these people out of their houses and get his home back. So that's the goal of this character. And it goes different ways. You know, there's there's some moments where I feel like this character wouldn't make these types of decisions or or go in these directions that he does, but it's driven by his need to put his family back into their home. And so, you know, it's interesting to think of that premise of working for the person that hurt you in order to not be hurt again. It's, it's really kind of a weird, almost perverted uh, scheme, uh, the way something like that could possibly work, I guess. But ultimately, you know, it becomes a thing where he ends up finding a way to not only get his home back, but turn everything over on Michael Shannon's character and and expose all of this to like the FBI and all this. So that's what I'm thinking. This must be some like legal, uh, there's some not cool areas in this with, in terms of it's criminal or whatever. I don't know. I just don't know. I own a home and I don't even know how all this stuff works. Which I guess is part of the reason why this was such a problem back then. So many people getting into homes and not really knowing what they're getting into. So maybe that's part of what this film speaks to in a way. Um, but I'll say this. Everything on this film, this is probably one of the better ones of the week. And if there's one I'd recommend, it might be this. Especially if you're home, if especially if you're a homeowner and you've ever had that worry, had that fear that somehow your home might be taken from you because you can't pay for it or because of whatever circumstance. And what happens then? I'm like, what are you willing to do to, to maybe get your home back or to get your life, you know, to keep your life going? Um, so there's some interesting kind of even dark stuff in here about people who can't find a way to make that work, who can't find a way to continue their life. So, um, Anyway, that's number 73. That's 99 Homes. I would recommend that one for sure. Check that one out. All right, let's get to number 74. This is Kill the Irishman. And this is from 2011. Stars Ray Stevenson. Uh, Christopher Walken's in it. There's a few other people. Some, some, of those, some of those actors, character actors that you might recognize from other things, but maybe don't know their names. They're in this. Um, I would say uh, to very loosely lay out the, the plot for this, it's about, uh, it's based on a true story of, uh, a man named Danny Green who was in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And he was like a dock worker that ultimately became 
like a union boss and was able to mobilize, um, you know, people in the community to, um, how can I say, basically, um, well, you know what? I'm just going to say this. I'm looking at my notes here. I'm not even sure what this guy did. <laughs> I'm not even sure what this guy, what his story was. I know he was involved with like some criminal elements like the mob and, and even like loan sharks. And he was responsible for busting some heads and getting some, you know, heat coming his way. But I'm not really sure how it all added up. And that's, I guess that's a little bit of a shame because maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but part of it is, I think, the way this movie is constructed. Some of the editing choices where there's a little bit of jumping around in time, uh, some of the, I guess, the writing or the storytelling choices, it's not always clear who's doing what and why uh, or what their motivations are. And... Even just on a, maybe on the superficial level, like there are some, uh, there are some visual effects in the film that are totally just, they just don't work. They're just totally obvious. And I say that, I mean, this is a film that takes place in the seventies, I believe, but, um, there are some explosions and some gunshots and some car bombs that are totally not. Totally not there. And it's very obvious. Maybe it wasn't when this film came out, like, you know, 10 or so years ago, but now it looks really, it looks like a problem. So that, and I just, you know, I don't know if this is like to adhere to the authenticity of the, of the time frame or the, the, the man, the people involved in this for real, but some of the production, the, like even like the wardrobe and and the, the hairstyles and stuff, it's just, it's really rough. It's really just distracting and it takes away from, I think, any emotion that's supposed to be in the story. So this one's a really, I don't want to say it's a hard watch. It's just not really intriguing. There's just not a lot of there to really hook into and find some interest in. And I'm sure the real story, if there's like a documentary about this guy and, and everything that happened in this part of, you know, in Cleveland and this era, maybe there's some real, you know, interesting stuff there. But this movie doesn't really, doesn't really get that across. So, you know, I would just say I give this one a pass. You might have seen like this floating around, on, I don't know, Netflix or whatever. And if it looks like one of those, what we would have called like a direct-to-video uh, films, it pr it pretty much is, and so, like I said, give it a pass. All right, let's let's keep moving. Uh, that was number seventy four. That was um, Kill the Irishman. Um, this next one is an interesting one that I wasn't. I remember when this came out, and I just wasn't sure where this came from. It just seemed like a movie that nobody asked for. And didn't even seem like relevant to the times or to anything, anything specific, really. But this is number 75. This is a hologram for the king. And this is from 2016. And it stars Tom Hanks, 
uh, Sarita Chowdhury, uh, is directed by Tom Tickford, which, uh, you know, if you look at the things that he's directed, very kind of visually stunning, interesting, dynamic work. And this just uh, like at a glance, like if you just looked at the poster or read like the, um, the log line or the synopsis for it, it doesn't seem like anything, any of those things. And yet, once you get into the film, those things are there, which is actually kind of cool. All right, so let me let me back up. Let me lay down what this is about. Just just give you a basics of it. Um, Tom Hanks is a is a salesman from the United States. He's off to Saudi Arabia to make a pitch to the king about some new holographic teleconferencing technology to make calls and, and video you know, meetings and all this stuff now, which might be really kind of commonplace, but back then was, I mean, even the way it's depicted in the film is pretty cutting edge stuff, but here it's, uh, it's his mission to kind of make this happen, to make this sale, to get the, I guess the Saudi government to invest in this because it's like his last chance to make some things right back home with some of his debts, with his daughter's college tuition, that kind of thing. So um, he really is depending on this whole thing to go through. And yet getting to Saudi Arabia, just the the living uh, conditions and the working conditions there and, and just the culture in general, it's so like, it's, it just throws him off entirely. And you know, he meets a driver there who kind of becomes his his guide and his pal, just showing him around and helping him figure out which way is up, all that stuff. But the the progress that he's making there with the sales pitch de- depends on like a little bit of infrastructure and there's nothing there. And so there's that struggle of like, okay, well, I'm here waiting for things to happen. So I just kind of bide my time, you know, milling around, twiddling my thumbs, what am I doing? So it's maybe not even so much in in, in terms of the, the plot or some of the devices in it. It's not about the technology. It's not necessarily about the culture clash, which is all part of it, but it's more about this man and his, uh, the crisis that he's in, the, the struggle that he's finding himself in. Maybe it's like a, an existential kind of thing, um, where he even, he even meets this doctor who helps him with uh, a a sudden mysterious growth he has in his back and performs a procedure and, and kind of helps him heal and all that. And it's, it's just a story that almost seems directionless. Like it doesn't really know where it's going. And that's one of the things that's kind of cool about it. But at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know what we're getting into. Like it's a little bit frustrating too. And so when you find that, okay, he does make this pitch, he finally gets this stuff going and and is able to get a chance to present this stuff to the king. And it seems to go well. It's like really successful. And they're all, you know, praising themselves and, you know, um, thinking they've got this thing locked up. He also meets this doctor and, and kind of sparks a little bit of a relationship there. And you think, well, okay, that's cool, but that's not really why he's there. 
and even because it's Saudi Arabia, it's not even necessarily like cool just in general there. So uh, the film does lean into that, though. The deal falls through. It doesn't work out. But he continues this relationship with his doctor and it becomes ultimately his purpose for being there and for what he wants to do. And I, I just thought there's some really interesting visual touches in here showing the landscape, showing the culture, showing a, a, the kind of disparity between what is, I guess, common like everyday life in Saudi Arabia versus what it is for, let's say, an American to experience it and how there's like layers to it, which, um, you know, if you've never been to that part of the world, I guess that's, I mean, to me, it was kind of eye-opening. It was kind of interesting to see there's a dynamic there. And yet it it pretty much puts that up front versus any kind of real like driving plot. Like there's not a lot of forward momentum to it. So I guess, you know, considering like who, who made this film, whether it's Tom Hanks and, and Tom Tickver and, and all the people involved, I feel like there's a high pedigree of like cool, you know, interesting stuff that they've done. And this could have been one of those things, but it just really just seems more like an experiment in a way. Um, so I don't know. I, I still don't know who this movie is for. And I still don't know why it was made. So I guess that's, that's ultimately what I come down to is like, I, if I had to recommend it or not, I would probably pass on it. I just can't see any urgent reason to watch it. Unless you're just, you know, glutton for punishment, like this guy right here, but otherwise it's going to be a pass. So let's keep this one moving. All right. (laughs) Okay. This is number 76. This is a movie called collection. This is very recent, from 2021. And this stars two guys that I'm pretty sure were maybe even the same guy. Alex Pettifer and Mike Vogel, which uh, I only know as the young brother from Cloverfield, the dude that got scooped up by the monster uh, you know, on the bridge and got taken away or whatever. These two guys, they almost look like the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> and if I go into like what the plot is, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Didn't you just talk about that movie? Cause it kind of is. It's about a guy who runs this debt collection agency that gets a little bit, uh, a little bit extreme, a little bit cutthroat. Um, they pull in the muscle, which is the other guy, the other guy that looks just like the guy. He's the muscle. One is the brains. One is the brawn, I guess. But these two guys, they kind of build this partnership. One, maybe had like a, 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 a criminal background. The other one had the brains, but you know, they needed each other to make this all work or whatever. Then also lay in this young guy who's fresh out of prison, but is good on the phone, good with sales, good with collecting debt from people. Okay. And then lay on this young woman who is the, wife, ex-wife, girlfriend of like a drug dealer, drug cartel person. And how all four of these people, these characters, their, their paths sort of intertwine and collide with each other. I mean, 
there's an interesting premise in there, I guess. There's a, there's a kind of the core of it has got something, but everything else on top of this does not work. I mean, it, down to some of the writing, which feels a little bit, uh, it either feels lazy, which, you know, that's a, that's a big word to throw at it, but because it's maybe not necessarily true, but also it feels a little bit forced. Like there are scenes that are, I think, supposed to have a little bit of dramatic tension or weight to them. And yet there's like this kind of ribbing and I would say even like toxic humor that's thrown in there, like in the middle. And it just, it feels like such a mishmash. I'm like, what is the energy we're going for here? And how's this getting us towards, you know, how's this getting us down further towards the end of the road here? towards the end of the story, I guess. Even some of the editing is a little bit of a problem. And I think worst of all, really, unfortunately, is the acting. Like there's just not any real, oddly enough, the one person who I think really brings it, it really is pretty consistent throughout um, with his character, at least, is Mike Vogel, um, my guy from Cloverfield. Uh, because he does kind of bring the intensity and bring like a real um, tension to a scene. And that is pretty consistent all throughout. Uh, the, only, the only unfortunate thing is like, it's really kind of one note, like there's no arc for the guy, but the others who do have arcs and do have different, you know, ranges to, to play in, they, they don't really feel like they're there for it. And so it all starts to show when you add all those things up, it really starts to show like, oh, there probably wasn't a big budget or a big uh, uh, production around this. I mean, there's even <laughs> there's even a scene where they're in a call center. And I mean, it's like the, the set and the and all the set dressing and everything. It just looked like it was made by or, or designed or whatever by someone who's never seen a call center before. It's like, oh, the call center, you just put a bunch of old ass touchtone phones on a desk and that's a call center. That's not how it works. I mean, I've seen call centers. I've been in call centers and it's crazy. And it's not these little old phones like this. I mean, it's, if you're running it like a business, it doesn't look like you're like in the back corner of some library with like five phones on a desk. That's not it. <laughs> that's not it. So... Little things like that, they start to add up. Like, okay, so one of the characters, this young woman, the possibly wife of a drug dealer, or whatever, is supposed to be like a, a dancer, like a stripper, or whatever. But it doesn't, it doesn't look like she's ever really danced before. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, okay, I, I don't, I can't speak to why. <laughs> I can speak to why, but I won't. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right. There's a lot of stuff in this film that just doesn't look right. And if you know anything, I mean, you've seen enough films, you get a sense for what is really where the money ends up on the screen and how it's being used in the right ways. And then you get a, you get a sense of how things just, there maybe there was no money to begin with. And so you can't put anything on the screen. And it just looks kind of cheap. Like when you shoot your characters having a conversation against a blank wall, yeah, y'all didn't have a set, huh? Y'all just found like a corner of some office and just shot it there, huh? 
Okay. It's just a lot of really troublesome parts of this film. So this is going to be definitely a pass. You might see it. It might even look a little bit interesting. But if you watch the trailer, you'll you'll start to see the all the cracks in the armor there. So either way, number 76, collection, pass. All right, so let's keep this moving. Number 77. Wait, did I say number 77? Number 76. Number 77, the debt collector. Now, this was one that uh, is a little bit older. It's from 1999. And I was intrigued by this just from the poster itself because it seems very kind of dark and and shadowy. And yet the face on the poster, the star of this film is Billy Connolly, who I've, I've only known as like a stand-up comedian from, I guess, like the mid 90s, maybe into the late 90s, something like that. And from being the teacher on a, a TV sitcom in, in that same era, like the mid to late 90s, I guess, the head of the class, where he was uh, like a, a college professor, I think, or a high school. T- I don't remember. But either way, I've always known him as like a comedic performer or actor or, or presence. And so here, like seeing him as totally straight, totally like hard edged, um, brutal. Um, I, well, he's I guess he's not technically a criminal, but, you know, in movie sets it up where this guy was kind of an enforcer, a debt collector for, I don't know, some criminal elements. Um, he goes, he gets busted at the beginning of the film. He gets busted by an undercover cop. He gets arrested, goes to prison. Um, and then we jump some years later where he's coming out of prison and he's reformed quote unquote. Um, he's written a book. He's, creating some art, some sculpting. So he's really, I think the film tries to put it together that he is, um, he's really kind of reformed and found something, some new purpose in life that is beyond any of his past and any of the troubles from then. So, you know, he comes out of prison, finally served his time and he's trying to, I guess, you know, go straight, right? He's trying to you know, leverage any of the the work that he's done since then with his art and all that. And he's got his wife with him um, and his son. And and yet the cop that busted him, it's 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 something that this guy can't let this go. Because I guess, you know, he did so many bad things in his past that uh, this cop um, by the name of Kelty, he is harassing and, and like just hovering around um, our character. Uh, his name is Nikki as Billy Connolly's character. And so he does this like throughout the film, he's just always there. He's like, ah, I got my eye on you. Or I'm watching you. Or he shows up to like the art, uh, like an art exhibit. And it becomes a thing where it's revealed part of the way Nikki's, enforcement or whatever worked was that there was a policy and the policy wasn't the policy was that if you try to get somebody to do something or pay up on their debts or you know you're trying to coerce somebody you don't go straight at them you go at all the people around them 
You know, you go after their family, you go after their friends, you go after their business, all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, turns that person to do whatever you want them to do. And so then the film becomes actually this really interesting dynamic of these two guys doing that. Like they go after each other. The cop goes after his son. The cop or or he goes after the cop's mother. And it's kind of this like tit for tat kind of thing. And ultimately it ends up where they have like a bloody knife fight in the street, which uh, I just, you know, I was just surprised because I'd never seen Billy Connolly in this kind of a film before or this kind of a character. And maybe this was actually common. Maybe this was a big part of his um, acting uh, background, I guess. But like I said, I would only seen him in, in comedic stuff. So I actually was really surprised and, and really kind of enjoyed this in a way. It's different because it's like a whole different time period now. You know, this was over 20 years ago and in a different part of the world. So it's it if you watch it now, it probably plays more like a period piece in, in, a, in a sense. Um, but it does have a lot of the, you know, it has a lot of the, the language and the, um, I guess, the the tangible kind of feel of that part of the world, you know, whether it's um, the way the police work or the way the, the criminals work or the way the streets work. So I would recommend this one, actually. It's a little hard to find. Um, or did I, I had to, I had to find it somewhere, but I mean, you could probably rent it or, or if you can find it on one of the streaming services, then maybe check that one out. Um, it's just really interesting. And for someone who doesn't know Billy Connolly is this, it was a little bit of a revelation. So how about that? All right. So let's keep this moving. We're at, um, our last one for this episode and then we're going to do something different, but, um, number 78 this is number 78. This is The Ringer. And this is from 2005. And this is a film that I really didn't have a lot of interest in seeing ever. But I thought, well, this might tie into some of the themes of these other films in a very loose way. And uh, boy, I mean, it's very loose. So let me just tell you, I mean, if you know this film, you probably know that it is just automatically problematic. There's no other way to put it. I mean, this is a film starring Johnny Knoxville. Um, Brian Cox is in this. And Johnny Knoxville plays this guy named Steve that through just some, I don't know, some cockamamie uh, plot, you know, device, he gets a coworker. Uh, basically maimed and loses his fingers. And so in order to help this guy, because he didn't mean for this to happen, the guy's going to lose his fingers or he can pay a doctor to reattach the fingers and whatever, but he doesn't have the money for it. And the guy doesn't have insurance for it. And so he needs to find a way to get a lot of money fast. It's so much set up and so ridiculous, so absurd, but that's not even the worst of this movie. He goes to his uncle Gary, say, how can I get this kind of money fast? He has an idea of, because of something he saw on TV, that, okay, his idea is that they're going to rig the Special Olympics and bet 
against the reigning champion or, or um, gold medalist or, or, you know, that that guy won't win because Steve, Johnny Knoxville, is going to enter the Special Olympics and compete against that guy and beat him. And, well, if you don't already see the obvious problems with this, then um, maybe you need to watch this movie. But otherwise, I'm going to tell you, which you probably already know, is that there's a lot of really, uh, some of the, okay, well, put it this way. This film, here's a tip that made me think there, there, this film wouldn't be a total disaster, is that it's produced by, or two of the producers on the film, are the Farrelly brothers, who, in, in all of the films they've done, whether it's like There's Something About Mary or Dumb and Dumber, um, or even uh, some, of the, some of the others that they know how to walk that line where it can be funny or insensitive and and just be right in the middle there. They know how to do that. They've they've done that surprisingly successfully in those films and and most of their films. And here though they're they're only producers and not directing it or directly um you know involved with it I guess, but that's where I think the problem is is you see like the sincerity and the and the um the i guess the good heart that it has the good intentions that it has and uh because there are real people that are uh, well, i guess developmentally challenged in this film and they're in featured roles they're like you know uh, all in this this group of competitors that Johnny Knoxville is in scenes with, and they all play it you know, great. Now, some of them are not. Some of them are just regulars. That are in other films that you've probably seen, but um, the fact that there's enough mixture in there makes me think, well, they wanted to have a, 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 an authentic representation or our um yeah they didn't want to perpetuate maybe some stereotypes and some um some depictions that were going to be really offensive by just showing real people and having them really act in these scenes which is great i mean all that there's no problem with that the problem is that the premise itself is so um lousy I mean, if if that's the word for it, it's just so scummy. I mean, th- this guy Steve and his uncle Gary, who come up with this this plot, this scheme to do this, they're just total scumbags for doing this, right? And so the film asks you to disregard all of that for the most part, and just go with this adventure, I guess. And so, I mean, if that's where you're if that's where you're cool with it, then you you might actually find some things to enjoy in here. But otherwise, it's really hard to get past that. Even so much where the film, by the end, backtracks on all of that and asks you and parts of, you know, the other characters to understand and forgive the this big error in judgment. And 
I'll just say that I think maybe the, the, the first error in judgment was making this film. It's just really a problem. Like it's, it's like I said, it's not because it, it's mean. It doesn't punch down. It's not insulting to the people that are in the film. But it's just the the idea that this would be somehow okay to do. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's really it 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 tries to walk that line, and I just don't think it really does it in the right way. Or at least it didn't do it for me. I don't know. Maybe some people love this film, but to me, I just uh wow. This one would be a hard pass also. But you know, I guess it I guess it's worth trying and seeing what happens. And Unfortunately, this is what happened. All right, so hard pass. Let's keep it moving. Number 78, that was The Ringer. Now, um, that was everything for this week, okay? So next week, though, I'm going to start off with a movie that I just saw that is brand new that I do want to talk about, but it didn't fit with any of these. So that'll be the first step. But also, <laughs> I don't have any other necessarily any other films to uh, gear around that. So we're just going to do a bunch of random stuff next week, okay? So we'll see how that goes. Might be kind of fun. Might be kind of interesting. I don't know yet. But um, in the meantime, if you want to catch other episodes, um, you can go to filmstreak.com. You can listen to stuff there. You can um, subscribe there. Um, if you're just checking out the podcast, thanks for checking this out. We're on, I mean, we've done 78 films so far. So how does that – I mean, I'm still going. I'm going to keep this going as long as I can. And maybe for our episode, or when we get to the 100th film, maybe we'll do something a little special. I don't know. But in the meantime, uh, hey, you know what? Do you stay safe, stay cool, or stay warm, depending on the part of the world you're in, and keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.